Palm Sunday. Amazing, amazing time. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. We're going to read a few scriptures this morning. Uh, And then halfway through the sermon, we are going to read a few more scriptures from John 18. But right now we're going to start with John chapter 12. Book of John chapter 12. And I'm going to start uh, beginning in verse 12. John 12 and 12. Now, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem spread through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors, they took palm branches and they went down the road to meet him. And they were shouting, praise God. Now, if you have a different translation right here, it's going to say, Hosanna. This is the Greek word where they're saying, God who saves us, praise God. Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Now Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming and he's riding on a donkey's colt. So we start off by saying the next day. Um, So let's back up a little bit and let's see what happened the previous day before his entry. Uh, So John 12, 12, beginning with verse 1. Now, six days before Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course, She's always serving. Lazarus was among those who ate with him because when you've been raised from the dead, all you got to do is show up, right? I mean, Lazarus just, hey, I'm just going to eat. Lazarus was among them who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made of essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with this fragrance, but, like there's always that but, right? Everything's going good. But Judas, Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. Because listen, this guy is a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Now Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So this portion of scripture, a week before, or the the last week in the life of Christ, if you're reading the book of John, and after this point in in chapter 12, the the remaining, I think, up to chapter 21, you got to realize that everything that is being talked about and everything that's being written happens here in a week's time. Now, this is important because imagine if you're a disciple and you're writing this gospel, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm writing this for the point that people would come to know the works of Christ, just what he's done, and that they would believe in his name. And you spend a great deal of the majority of your time in your writings looking at the last week of what happened in the life of Christ. In other words, this is a very, very important week. 
I mean, they've spent three years with Jesus. Uh, they've, they've done all kinds of things. They've seen all kinds of miracles. And yet they spend a good majority of their time talking about the last week in the life of Jesus. And he was in Bethany, and he's making his way into Jerusalem. And he's in Bethany because uh, something had happened at one point in time, and everybody is out to kill Jesus. And so when he's coming into Jerusalem, he knows what's getting ready to happen. Uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, some of the religious leaders, they had all set it up in their minds that, listen, uh, we're trying to figure out how can we get rid of this Jesus, the one who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. And so he knows exactly what he's walking into. Now, the day before, there's a party. The day before Palm Sunday, there's a party in his honor. And let me just kind of set the scene for you a little bit. Imagine you're going to a dinner party. Imagine you're there, and Jesus is there, and all of his boys are there. I mean, when Jesus shows up, I mean, you got 12 disciples with him. There's all types of other people. So he rolls deep. He's got like a bunch of people. This ain't just like just one person showing up at your house for a dinner party. Jesus has the whole crew with him. And so he shows up to the house, and Martha's serving. She's in the, she's in the kitchen. She's frying the chicken. She's getting ready to go. More than likely, it was probably some lamb. But, you know, they could have had some chickens running around back then, too. Um, Lazarus is just there, and everybody's like, isn't that the guy? He was, and Lazarus just like, yep, and he's just, eat, he's just eating, he's there. And, and then Mary comes in the room, and she breaks this bottle of perfume and begins to anoint Jesus with it. Now, here's the thing. When she does this, it says that the smell filled the whole house. Have you ever just gotten around somebody that smells good? Like somebody just walked in or you, you walk by somebody and you just, man, they smell good. Right? And here's the thing. So if you're in that room, Jesus is getting blessed, but everybody else is getting blessed too. See, that's the beautiful thing about perfume is it just doesn't bless you. It blesses everybody else in the room. Uh, deodorant is a lot like that. Deodorant doesn't just bless you, it blesses other people, right? That's right. So, so there's this beautiful thing, and, and everyone's there, and everyone is getting blessed by what's happening. It's, it's this, and I'm thinking about this dinner party, and it's there, and you're enjoying the sweet smell of it. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is a lot like worship, Worship is a lot like this perfume. Worship is a lot like deodorant. See, first and foremost, we're here to bless God. And the very fact that you guys get blessed too is a byproduct. Not the prime product, but the byproduct. The fact that the band can hold it together. The fact that the band can play on key. The fact that it sounds okay. All of that is secondary to the fact that Jesus, we're here to bless your name that we're here to take our worship and pour our worship on you, Jesus. And so when Alan comes up here and Alan begins to lead worship, it's first and foremost, Jesus, this is for you. And I'm getting ready to just, to just lead in worship. And if you guys want to follow, you're more than welcome to come. But the smell of this offering that I'm offering out to you, Lord God, may it first and foremost bless your name. If you guys want to come, you're more than welcome to join. And worship is like that. And she's there and she's worshiping her Savior. She's worshiping Jesus. But then, 
Judas speaks up. And like the whole room is just like awesome. And then he just brings the whole room down. He's just the, the biggest Debbie Downer. Y'all remember that Saturday Night Live? Debbie Downer, like, wah, wah. Like, whatever happened, she would just bring the room down. And that is Judas. The room is there. There's food. There's this beautiful smell that's filling the room. And Judas is like, but, listen, we, we could have taken that and we could have given it to the poor. Have you ever, like, been around those people that they just, they just bring the room down? Are you one of those people that just bring the room down? Uh, you know, I, just actually this week, I, I ran into this one gentleman and I said, oh man, isn't it just a beautiful day outside? And to which he replied, oh, yeah, but that just, that just means it's going to be a really hot summer. It's going to be a really hot summer and the sun's going to burn up all my flowers. I'm like, but it's a great day today, bro. Like, wow, bring the room down a notch. You know, it's like some people, it's like whatever they do, they just like kind of bring it down. Hey, you just, Jim, you just won the lottery, man. Oh, but now I got to pay all these taxes. (laughs) I won 20 million. I got to pay 8 million in taxes. Well, let me get that ticket from you. You know, I'm sorry that you have to go through that. Like, no, come on. Like perspective here. You know, but here's the worst part where you're in that room or you're in that situation where someone has just like taken the beauty of what's happening and they just bring it down. But the problem is sometimes what they've said actually makes sense. And see what Judas said on some levels makes sense. Listen, she's just, she's just dumb. This is a year's wage. Seriously, that's some expensive perfume. I mean, that's. I think she should get royalties because she is the very first essential oil salesman. <laughs> like, Mary comes in, and she's like, yeah, I've got this little one-ounce jar. No, hers is like 12 ounces. It's going to cost you $12 million. You know, so she's like, she dumps this. And on some levels, you step back, and you're like, well, he, he does kind of make a point. Like, do you know what we could have done with this? We could have blessed so many people. And, and it's hard because sometimes something happens, and someone makes a point that on some level... It makes sense. Do you know that we last year served over, I think it was, uh, let me get the number right, um, over 400 gallons of coffee? Y'all drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> 400 gallons. And then someone says, but Lucas, do you know if you, would, if you could not serve the coffee and, and then we could have given all that money to the poor, do you know how many kids in Africa you could have helped by not serving coffee? And on some levels, you're like, that kind of makes sense. But, but here's what you don't understand is like, but you don't want to see these people without coffee. Like, you don't want to see you without it. <laughs> and there's, there's this reality. But like, on some levels, you're like, well, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. And so you'd imagine if you're in your room and uh, in this room and, and this is happening, Judas says this and they just kind of step back. Like, oh, yeah, this was an extravagant offering. This makes no sense. This is a year's wage that she's just poured out on the feet of Jesus. I I don't know. And then this is the beautiful part. Jesus brings perspective. He says this. He says, leave her alone. The poor will always be among you. 
but you will not always have me. Wow, this is an intense statement. Because here, here, here it almost looks like Jesus is saying, well, don't, don't worry about the poor. He's like, now, now, now we've got to take this into perspective because there's nobody who cares more about the poor than Jesus. The scriptures are very clear. Now listen, to, to, to look after the poor, the orphan, the widow, there's nobody that loves the poor and the orphan and the widow that's looking out for their best, best interests more than Jesus Christ. And yet he makes this statement, hold on, leave this woman alone. And so what he's doing is he's bringing perspective because what has happened is see, Judas saw the oil and he missed the woman. All he saw was, well, this money could have been used for this. This could have been used for this. He missed the woman. See, you could hear the song and miss worship. You could hear the song and miss worship. You could feel the heat and miss the sun. And Jesus brings this perspective. And this is the very first thing he does before he enters Jerusalem. Is listen, listen, you guys. Let's have some perspective about what's getting ready, getting ready to happen. And then he walks in to Jerusalem. He's riding this donkey. Now you've got to imagine for a moment. Now that when Jesus comes into town, you're like, man, this guy is smelling good. He has just had this smell that, oh my goodness, but something's wrong. You're kind of confused because, man, he smells of royalty, but he looks of poverty. He's riding a donkey. See, he, 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 look, he smells like a king, but he's looking like a peasant. And, and there's this kind of like beautiful dichotomy that's going on with our Savior, where if you're there and you're sitting there and you're seeing him for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, is he rich or is he poor? Yes. Yes. Is he a king or is he a servant? Yes. Is he a lion or is he a lamb? Yes. And you're there, man, he smells like royalty. He looks like poverty. I don't, I don't, man, there's something about this guy. There's something about this moment. And, you know, that's one of the, the beautiful things that I love about our church sometimes. People always ask me, you know, what kind of church? Like, are you Baptist or are you Catholic or are you Methodist? Or I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you Pentecostal or are you more charismatic? Yeah. But, but are you more Catholic? Yeah. Are you guys young or are you old? Yeah. <laughs> We're young, yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was a good one. <laughs> and I love it. And, then, and, and you're there and you're smelling your Savior and you're seeing him on a donkey and it's just mind-blowing. I love it often because I get this from people all the time that when meeting them for the first time, you know, you start to meet. And, and at some point in the conversation when you've met someone for the first time, there's always that, well, what do you do? And then I say, well, well I'm a pastor. 
And then they said, no, no, seriously, what do you do? I was like, well, no, yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh, so you do the youth. No, the youth don't really like me. Um, like, yeah, I'm actually the guy in charge, kind of. Not really, Jesus, but... Um, and it's, you just kind of see it on people's faces sometimes, like, but you don't look like a pastor. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and I love it. And, and I think sometimes that's how Jesus shows up. As a matter of fact, we'll talk a little bit about this next week, but even upon resurrection, when they ran to the tomb, they thought he was a gardener. Like, sometimes we're looking for Jesus to like float two feet above the ground, and, like, do all of the amazing miracles. And sometimes he looks like a gardener. Sometimes he looks like the UPS man. Sometimes he looks like your coworker. A lot of the times he looks like my wife. Irritates me to death. Gosh, she's just so like Jesus. And he shows up. And there's this parade and everybody's shouting his name, and everybody's singing his praise. Hosanna, Hosanna, the God who saves. There's this big party. There's an excitement. There's, there's you know, the air, everything's happening. If, if there was like that uh, ticker t- tape parade stuff, it would be going off. It's, it's amazing. But then all of a sudden, everything goes south. Remember, this is one week. One week of time. Everything goes south. The next thing you know, Judas, he sold him out. The crowd's turned on him. Peter denies him. He's arrested. He's on trial. He's falsely accused. The Jewish leaders are pointing fingers at him. Now listen, these are the very people that he's lived among all of his life. He's, he, he spent years loving these people. And now he's been betrayed. He's been betrayed by them. Have you ever given your heart to something only to have it? crushed have you ever been betrayed here's the thing about betrayal like betrayal never comes from your enemies it always comes from your friends it always comes from those closest to you being betrayed hurts being betrayed well it's it's a lot like this moment See, at the beginning of the week, everything started out with parades and palm branches. But at the end of the week, it ended with blood and torture and heartache and pain and suffering. Have you ever had a a week like that where it started out? See, I've seen lots of marriages like this. That it started out with palm branches and parades, but it ended with pain and suffering I've seen a lot of people that started attending church like that. It started with palm branches, but it ended with suffering. I know a lot of you guys that have past experiences with pastors, with friends, that, man, it started out amazing. But somewhere along the line, you've kind of felt like you've been betrayed. You've been hurt. Something's happened. You've had jobs where, man, it started out great, but it ended badly. Pretty much every family reunion. (laughs) You know, family reunions, the first hour, everybody's, hey, cousin, I haven't seen you in forever. 
By the end of the night, the cops are called. Somebody's getting locked up. Somebody's got like the bag of peas on their eyes. It does. Every family reunion. It it starts out like betrayal. Betrayal. Turn with me to John 18. This is what's happening to Jesus. We've gone from this parade and in John 18, beginning um, with verse 33, Jesus is on trial. He's talking to Pilate here, and it says this. And then Pilate went back into the headquarters, and they called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for this trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from handing over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So here it is. Everything has gone wrong. It started out good and it's gone wrong. And he's standing there before them. And Pilate points out the most obvious thing. You know, this question is asked. And Pilate says this, your own people have brought you to me. Your own people. The ones closest to you, the very ones you're giving your life to, have betrayed you. Your own people. It's that pastor that you shared your struggles and your fears with, and he betrayed you. It's that friend that you've taken holidays and vacations with, and you've shared many moments with, and they've betrayed you. It's the person that you've given your life to, and they betray you. There's a psychology book that says this. It says, betrayal is one of the worst things that you can experience because it crushes the soul. In psychology, it says this, that there's three types of trust, three, three main types of trust. First is called blind trust. Blind trust is where you just kind of openly trust everybody and, hey, just come in and you're, you wear your emotions on your sleeves kind of thing in the sense of like, hey, you could just come into my life and, and we'll let you in and there's no kind of guards in place and you just kind of blindly trust everybody. And then there's another type of trust called suspicious trust. And this is where all of your relationships, everybody, you know, you, you, you kind of have the suspicion about them that at some point they're going to hurt you. So all of your relationships are basically built at a distance. Everybody's kind of, you could come close, but not too close. I'll let you into my world, but not enough to anything that could really hurt me. And then there's this trust called wise trust. And in psychology, the definition for wise trust, it says this is recognizing that we are all capable of betrayal in our weakest moments. Wise trust has the recognition that we are all capable of betrayal in our weakest moments. And I read this and I thought, I like that definition, but I would change it just a little bit. I would change it to recognizes that we are all capable of betrayal, period. Not just in your weakest moment. Because we see that not to, or here with, with Peter. Uh, we see it with many other men and women. It's not just about in the meekest moment, that we are all capable. But here's the thing. If you've been hurt, 
If you've been betrayed, there's something inside of you. That's something that's been built deep inside of your heart. And it's like that song that we just sang a few minutes ago. You were made for communion. Not just with God, but with, for with, with others. See, there's a deep urging inside of your heart to share your life with somebody else. There's a deep urging inside of your heart to say, you know what, I, I just got to share what's happening in my life with another human being. See, some of us are hurting and in pain, not because we don't have a good prayer life, because we just need a friend to share a cheeseburger with. I need someone to know what I'm going through, but, but here's the thing, I'm afraid because I've been hurt before. The last time I let someone in my life, the last time I, I, I started doing this, I, I got hurt badly. It ended badly. It started with a parade, but it, it ended, well, with torture. But something inside of me knows that I've got to have this communion. And if we're not care, careful, when we've been betrayed, when we've been hurt, when we've bear, been, been, been betrayed, what happens is inside of our hearts, we begin to form these scars. And these scars get harder and harder. And it's what the Bible calls the hardening of the heart. And the next thing you know, our heart is so hard towards life and humanity and other brothers and sisters and towards the people that love us the most. Um, I've told this story a few times before, but it's, it's been such a huge impact on my life. Uh, this buddy of mine tells, uh, tells me this um, conversation that he had with another gentleman where this guy, he's talking to him about the Lord, and he says, you, you want to know what a Christian is? And this is his definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone who knows the Bible well enough to justify anything they do. A Christian is someone who knows the Bible well enough to justify anything they do. Now that statement says a lot. But it doesn't say so much about the statement, but it tells about this man's story. Because you know he's been hurt. And come to find out that this man's wife left him, divorced him, took him, took all the stuff, all these, all these things, all in the name of Christ. And it, it just scarred him. You know, it scarred him. And, and it, it was his look on Christianity. And, and the thing is, we've got to get to the point, listen, even if we've been wronged, even if we could rightly justify that, listen, these things have happened and this has happened to me, uh, we can't let it harden our hearts. We can't, we can't let it be uh, the reason why we don't share our lives with anybody else. Because here, here we have this perfect example because, listen, Jesus knows. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. See, the thing about Judas is sometimes we just look at Judas and what he's done, but the thing is, Jesus loved this guy. Jesus poured his heart into this guy for three years. He called him out and said, follow me, Judas. See, Jesus had hope for Judas. Jesus showed him everything. Judas, this is how your life could look. This is how you could live. And even knowing that at the end of the day, Judas, you're going to do this to me, Jesus poured his heart out anyway. And here's the thing we don't like. As Christians, we're called to do the same. We're called to do the same. 
Jesus is very familiar. Matter of fact, Jesus washes Judas's feet too. So he just didn't wash the other. He washes the very one that's getting ready to sell him out. He breaks communion into the same bowl of the very one that's going to lead ultimately to his death. All of this happens. And, and I love what Pilate's, Pilate's pointing out the obvious. He's pointing out, listen, am I a Jew? Your own people have done this. Your own people have betrayed you and put you on trial. And I love Pilate's question. He says, what have you done? Like, I don't even, I don't see it. What have you done to justify this? Now, I've got to tell you, if I was Jesus at this moment, this is what I would have said. What have I done? What have I not done? I raised Lazarus from the dead. I feed 5,000 of them with some fish and some bread. Man, all those people that were sick, yeah, healed them too. Uh, uh, all, all those people that were blind, they got sight now, don't they? What have I done? I've given my life for these people. I, I, I've called them out. I've showed them a better way to live. I've given them life and life more abundantly. What have I done? I, I, I walked on water. And not only did I walk on water, I showed them that they can walk on water too. What have I done what haven't I done for these people? See, if I was Jesus in this moment, I would give the list to want to justify myself. What have I done? I'm being falsely accused here. I'm being betrayed by the very ones I've given my life to. What have you done? But Jesus doesn't do that. I'm glad I'm not Jesus. Because Jesus says something right here. That blows my mind. What have you done? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, I'm living for something bigger than all this. I'm living something bigger than all this. Everything that you see and taste and touch and everything that you think that this is revolving around, I'm living for something bigger than this. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And here's the thing, guys. We have got to learn that there are things in this life that are bigger than this world. And if the only thing you're living for is for justification in this life, you will be sorely disappointed. If you're only looking for it to be justified and to have everything reconciled unto yourself in this world, you are going to hate life. Because the scriptures are very clear. It's not about being justified unto us. It's unto him. That he is reconciling all things unto him. That we've all sinned and fallen short. We've all been the one to betray him. See, we talk about Judas. Let's be honest. We've sold him out for much less. We talk about Peter denying him. Come on, we've done it too. And so when it comes to this, this idea of, listen, I can't open up my life. I can't open a thing because I might be betrayed. You've been the betrayer. And Jesus brings everything into perspective. He starts the week pers with perspective. He ends the week with perspective. He says, listen, my kingdom is not of this world. Do you want to know a secret to life? Live for something bigger than yourself. The secret to happiness, the secret to joy, 
is get an awesome ringtone like that. You know I was going to point you out whoever you were. Live for something bigger than yourself. And there's nothing greater than living for the glory of God. Even if your life ends in absolute shambles and misery and pain and a cross, it will be the most glorious thing if you've done it for his glory. To dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor souls who know not victory nor defeat because they live their life in this, this gray twilight that knows not of it. To go out and to live for God. To live for something bigger than ourselves. In this world, there will be trials. There will be struggles. There will be false accusations. People will betray you. But my kingdom's not of this world. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and I'm going to ask those to help prepare with the elements. We're going to take communion this morning in just a few minutes. The day starts, or the week starts with this parade. The same week ends with this cross. The people are shouting, Hosanna, God who saves us. Yet later on in the week they say, who is this one who can't even save themselves? People are fickle. We are fickle, right? It started with palm branches. It ended with whips. They're celebrating this meal. It's not long till they're falling asleep in the garden and Peter's saying, Jesus, who is that? Jesus enters Jerusalem. He looks like royalty. Or, I'm sorry, he smells like royalty. Looks like poverty. He dies like a criminal. And he's raised in glory. And he does all this so that you could enter into full communion with him and others. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on, be.